Welcome to a special and final edition of Different Minds, a podcast series about the different ways our brains can work and interpret information. I'm your host, John Offord. I started my podcast back in May 2020 and never imagined I would produce 65 episodes over the past 20 months and managed to speak to some incredible guests, such as American scientist Temple Grandin, author of Neurotribes, the fabulous Steve Silberman, and the amazing TV presenter Chris Packham, to name but a few. I've decided to end on a high, so to celebrate, I'm going to look back at my top 10 episodes. Although it's worth mentioning, it was an honor to speak to every single one of my guests. At number 10 on the list is the fabulous award-winning author Steve Silberman, who was once haunted by the question, why have rates of autism diagnosis increased so steeply in the past 30 years? To solve that medical mystery for his book, Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity, Silberman went back to the first years of autism research, where he uncovered a series of events, some long forgotten and others deliberately buried, that required the history of autism to be rewritten. Neurotribes was awarded the Samuel Johnson Prize in 2015 and has received wide acclaim from both the scientific and the popular press. Let's listen back to one of my favourite clips with Stephen when Stephen was talking about the different types of human minds. It occurred to me that um, what certain forms of ableism were saying was that there was only one normal type of human mind and everything else fell short if you didn't meet this sort of platonic ideal of normalcy you had deficits and dysfunctions and and those deficits and dysfunctions defined you well what if there isn't one type of human mind uh that is you know the only type of human mind that is good and that's something that we were learning in a lot of different ways like for instance the gay thing you know, there isn't one type of sexual orientation that is clearly the best, clearly the most normal. There is a there is a wide variety and there's a wide variety of gender identities. And, you know, we're learning about the multiplicity of, of the universe and of life on Earth. And in fact, you know, one might even say that, you know, the sort of national freakout that America is going through now with white supremacists marching in the streets is it's people fighting that recognition that in fact human life is diverse and various and that diversity and, and variousness help us as a society. They're not things standing in the way of progress. They enable progress. And so I would say that neurodiversity is the recognition that in communities of human minds, experience things differently, experiencing things differently, conceptualizing things differently, uh, being able to imagine things differently from some, you know, phony, completely fictitious standard of normal is best for the future of civilization. And, you know, if we survive this horrific era, and many of us will not uh, in the most dramatic sense uh, because of COVID, but if however much we survive this era, um, the world is struggling towards a recognition of diversity as, as a good thing in, uh, in society, and I hope we make it.
I was honoured to speak to Dr. Damien Milton, an autistic academic and father. Damien proposes a different interpretation for the disconnection between autistic and non-autistic people, which he calls the double empathy problem. Damien is coming in at number nine in my list today. In this clip, Damien talks about the communication breakdown in the famous Two Ronnie sketch. So one of the things I like to use to explain it is the Two Ronnie sketch for candles. Oh yeah, know that one well, yes, yes. And it's a classic comedy sketch, so people often know it. Um, but if you re-watch it and view the customer played by Ronnie Barker as an autistic characterization um, and the shopkeeper as a non-autistic one, it's quite interesting in the kind of communication breakdown. And even though they're using the same words, they're meaning quite different things by them. And the reactions they give. So the Ronnie Barker character remains quite deadpan and just trying to get his shopping list done. Whilst the shopkeeper gets more and more irate and trying to figure out, trying to empathize in a sense, but misfiring and getting it wrong and projecting things into the customer on his intention. And so it captures that kind of two different ways of interacting, but the breakdown between the two in quite a funny way. <laughs> Let's now listen to the famous sketch Damien was referring to. Candles. Four candles. There you are. Four candles. No, four candles. Well, there you are. Four candles. No, four candles. Candles <laughs> for forks. Fantastic stuff. One of my favourite clips of all time there from the two Ronnies, of course. And number eight is the fabulous Francesca Harpe, Professor of Cognitive Neuroscience at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience in London. I asked Francesca about how people with autism experience the world around them and how our understanding of autism has developed over the past 30 years. I began by asking Francesca what drives her fascination and interest in autism. The autistic mind is utterly beautiful and utterly different from the neurotypical mind. And I think it's that difference that fascinates. I also asked Francesca what she hopes for in the future when it comes to autism awareness. So I think greater awareness of autism in the general public can lead to greater acceptance. And it would be wonderful if autistic people didn't feel they had to mask, or at least didn't have to feel they have to mask all the time, would know that a mask like uh, putting on your suit for a job interview can be taken on and off as you want, not enforced by the negative responses of, um, of neuro on non-autistic uh, people. 
So I think we need a better understanding of autism, especially in these neglected groups, women and uh, older adults. We also know that autism is under-recognized and underserved in BAME populations. So uh, we need better understanding there. And then a society that accepts difference and values difference and appreciates that uh, autism is a different way of viewing the world, not a deficient way, and that that different way of viewing the world brings with it all sorts of positives. Fascinating stuff there. I was also honoured to chat to the originator of the term neurodiversity, Australian sociologist and author Judy Singer. Judy is generally credited with the coinage of the word that became the banner for the last great social movement to emerge from the 20th century. Judy comes in at number seven on my list today. One way to look at it is just to use the old serenity prayer or however you want to call it. I don't think it's a prayer, but it's the old accept the thing you cannot change, you know, your genes. Um, have the courage to have the serenity to accept the things you cannot change, your genes. The courage to change the things you can, change society, activism, and the wisdom to know the difference. And again, that's not a simple thing. And that to me is really um, neurodiversity in a nutshell, a new important sound for very age-old concepts of justice and fairness. I really enjoyed speaking to English actor and recipients of an Emmy Award and nominations for two BAFTAs and star of The A Word, Christopher Eccleston, for those who haven't watched it, The A Word is a family BBC drama TV series with an autistic twist. The plot focuses primarily on Paul and Alison Hughes, whose son Joe is on the spectrum. Since 2016, Christopher Eccleston has played Morris, the grandfather of Joe. Morris has an extremely abrasive and blunt personality. He also provides us with plenty of comedy moments. We have to do it about race. Yeah. We have to do it about gender. Yeah. And we have to do it about neurodiversity. If we, the three, those three things, if we address those three things, gender, race, neurodiversity, yeah. we, we, you know, climate change will be addressed if we address yeah. those three things. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's what it is to be human. Coming in at number five is a clip from when I interviewed Simon Baron-Cohen, one of the world's leading authorities on autism and director of the Autism Research Centre at the University of Cambridge about autism theory and his latest book, The Pattern Seekers, A New Theory of Human Invention, which argues that autistic people have been crucial to our creative and cultural history for the past 70,000 years. Simon took the opportunity to publicly retract some of the language he originally used about male and female brains. Have a listen to this. You know, maybe it was kind of useful at the time to kind of um, start making us think about the link between autism and gender. But I think, I think with hindsight, I'm, I, th I think the, the, the more neutral terminology of type E and type S Kind of, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't um, lead people to maybe misunderstand the theory. A lot of people just hear the phrase extreme male brain 
or, or even just the phrase male brain or female brain. And they kind of, they leaped to the conclusion that this must be one of those, I think, you know, uh, well, would be, would be a very sexist theory. Um, you know, sort of assuming that this applied to all male, all men or all women, when the theory very clearly doesn't do that. But if people haven't bothered reading the book or reading the articles where I kind of lay all this out, then it's very, it's very easy for people to misunderstand it. And so I think, I think today, I think it's probably, you know, this is actually quite a, a useful opportunity to retract, you know, publicly retract some of that language about male brains and female brains. It was absolutely fascinating interviewing American scientist, activist, author and speaker Temple Grandin in April 2021, who comes in at number four on my list today. Temple Grandin is well known for many for her trailblazing work as a spokesperson for people with autism and her lifelong work with animal behaviour. Temple was named in the 2010 Time 100 an annual list of 100 most influential people in the world in the heroes category. Grandin has also written six previous books on autism and was also the subject of the Emmy and Golden Globe winning semi-biographical film Temple Grandin starring Claire Danes. Today we are seeing a new generation of autistic activists who can take awareness as a given because of Grandin and focus instead on the social, political and economic barriers to our full integration and acceptance by society, said Ari Neiman, president and co-founder of the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, which represents autistic adults. You know, when you go out to Silicon Valley and all these programmers, they know they're on the spectrum and they avoid the labels, they actively avoid them. I think they're concerned about being totally defined by it. So do you think people are, st are kind of uh, are fearful of the label then, essentially? Well, I think they're worried about it defining them. Interesting. And I've seen yeah. kids today where their whole life is divine, defined by autism. You know, I'd rather talk to an eight-year-old about his telescope or Absolutely. he trains his dog or uh, yeah. whatever. You know, you know, I'd rather talk to him about, uh, you know, whatever he likes to uh, build Legos. I mean, I'd rather they, they, they are letting it define them important part of who I am yeah. I wouldn't want to change the way I think I like the way I think yeah because we need visual thinking for problem solving yep and and we need it for preventing disasters like Fukushima because they didn't see that maybe it's a good idea to put watertight doors on it would have yep. saved it well right now at the age I am is I'd like to see the young ones go out and get in a good career I remember talking to a granddad he discovered he had autism and he worked on the moon project. We had a big discussion about who was autistic in the control world. Big discussion on that. Yeah. And, and it would have been a, a bunch of them. But, but that grandfather had a great career. But the thing I'm going to emphasize is we need the different kinds of minds. They, they have complementary skills. And we're fully recognizing all, uh, different skill sets we're bringing to the table. Absolutely. And you need diverse minds. That's something that you need. And I find the first step is realizing that, um, uh, that people think differently. It was a huge honor to interview Chris Packham, CBE, an English naturalist, nature photographer, television presenter, and author, best known for his TV work, including the CBBC Children's Nature Series, 
the really wild show from 1986 to 1995 and the BBC's nature series Spring Watch, including Autumn Watch and Winter Watch since 2009. Extraordinarily creative and prolific, Chris Packham has led a remarkable life. In 2003, at the age of 43, Packham began seeing a therapist after the death of his dog. As his work with the therapist concluded in 2005, Packham was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. He has also stated that he has suffered from severe depression. Yeah, people always say, um, you know, they say it to me, they say, the thing is, Chris, you, 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 know, you see things out of the box, you know, or, or you think things out of the box, but there isn't a box. That's the thing, there's no box. You know, I don't see a barrier to anything. I, I just see a, a distance that I'm trying to travel, whether I'm thinking about something or whether I'm making something. Um, so again, I think that that has, has to be an asset in terms of progress. And, and, and a lot of people are beginning to realize that and therefore give autistic people the opportunity to exercise their, their skills by, by shaping their world so that they can be productive. I also want to play another clip from when I interviewed Chris Packham, when Sid and Nancy, his black miniature poodles, decided to join in. A group of animals and, and then immediately jump onto the next one. Oh, hold on, this is a group of animals having something to say now. So that's Sid and Nancy, <laughs> my black miniature poodles. Nice. And um, yeah, they're <laughs> my companions. Of course, I, I, I say that we're spending time alone. I, I wasn't. I was constantly with them. And, um, and that's a really important part of my I think it's the first time I've had a, a dog on my The Different Minds podcast series, which is great. Well, you've got a dog and a grey squirrel, actually, because it's that, that outside the window that's exciting them to, to comment at this point in time. <laughs> that's brilliant. Nancy, Nancy. The squirrel's not listening. Thank you. Right. Um, so, yes, going back to my youth. I really enjoyed speaking to American college student Austin Hook about coming to terms with his sexuality and accepting that he has Asperger's syndrome. I was really touched by this interview when I asked Austin what advice he would give anyone listening who might be struggling. This clip comes in at number two and is a powerful and moving piece of audio. Austin, I just wondered what you would say to anyone listening that can identify with some of the autistic traits that you've talked about today and are not sure what to do about that and whether to, to talk to anyone or get a diagnosis or maybe struggling internally. I just wondered if there's any messages that you might have to those people listening. Yeah, so... The queer community and and the people and people on the spectrum, it's full of uh, extremely diverse people, um, and people in the queer community have a higher proportion of people with disorders like ASD, um, like OCD, ADHD, things that that make it harder for them to um, to function how society wants them to, uh, and at least more so than than the cisgender heterosexual population, and they struggle to be accepted. Um, among their peers, struggle to accept themselves, um, and and uh, it can make things complicated. But but my advice uh, to them is, you know, never let anybody make you feel like you're broken. You know, like that, like everybody deserves, you know, love and to be happy and to to find um, like meaning for their life in their own way. Um, and it's really easy, especially on the spectrum, to sort of you know, compare yourself with a neurotypical or, or hear people compare you with neurotypicals. And you have to block that out because you're not like them. And 
there are ways that you can use that um, as a good thing. Um, it gives you a different outlook on the world. It you know it you might have some some heightened ability in your in your niche topics of interest. Um, and more importantly, you can you can give everybody uh, you know you can educate people on how they're different. Um, but don't let anybody define that for you. Like it's it's your life, um, and you deserve you know everything really. At number one on my list is the fantastic Ohulian Tido, an English folk music duo from Yorkshire. I interviewed them about life as a neurodivergent couple and parenting. Singer-songwriter Heidi Tido and her wife, singer-songwriter and pianist Belinda O'Hall were nominated for Best Duo at the 2013 BBC Radio 2 Folk Awards. Their 2016 album Shadows was given a five-star review in The Guardian and four of their other five albums, including their 2017 release, have received four-star reviews in the British national press. In 2019, their song Gentleman Jack from the album Fragile featured as the closing theme tune for the BBC HBO television series Gentleman Jack. I asked Ohuli what advice would she give her younger self if she had the opportunity, and this really resonated with me. What advice would I give my younger self? I guess I'd say to her, probably, I know you... You're struggling now and that you think this is all really tough and you don't fit anywhere. Um, but you'll see that somewhere along the line, you're going to have everything that you ever wanted and more. You're going to be married to a woman. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a music career and all those things that made you different are actually going to be to your advantage. So. Be different, be as different as you can be and let her shine. A wonderful piece of audio there. Before we go, I just wanted to say I was honoured to speak to Dina Murray, who sadly passed away earlier this year. Dina was a champion of autistic people and explored the attention that they devote to a leading interest. Dina devoted her life to improving conditions for autistic people. In the 1990s, as a community support worker in London, she was appalled by the amount of tranquilizers prescribed to autistic people and in 1998 founded Autistic People Against Neuroleptic Abuse. Here's a clip which starts with her son, Fergus Murray, talking about monotropism, an autism theory published in 2015, which still has a central role in autistic studies today and chimes with many autistic people's experience. The autistic poet Kate Fox says... The more you experience autistic people and their culture, the more you go, of course, it's about attention. It feels like a theory that comes from an inside understanding. I think it's worth saying that, that it has always been greeted by quite a lot of people saying, oh, well, that makes sense now. 
finally someone's described autism in a way that is actually coherent and covers all of the aspects of it rather than just focusing on one particular area but a, a big part of it is just it's not directly practical but it's about understanding where the barriers come from right understanding like what it is that makes something like a classroom environment or a work environment or a home environment so difficult for so many autistic kids allows you to start pulling down the barriers and making things easier and also recognizing really recognizing personally and genuinely that there are issues going on which you can help with rather than just assuming that this is all stuff which can be kind of swept away the theory of monotropism was developed by Dina Murray, Wen Lawson and Mike Lesser. It's a cognitive strategy posited to be the central underlying feature of autism. A monotropic mind is one that focuses its attention on a small number of interests at any time, tending to miss things out outside of this attention tunnel. Well, we're coming to the end of today's podcast don't forget you can listen to all the episodes featured in what we've heard today simply google different minds podcast series to, to listen to those in full before i go i wanted to say a big thank you to you the listener who have made all this possible my fantastic guests over the years and also my supportive sponsor buyer autism consultancy and my former sponsor timo Thanks again, everyone, and Happy New Year. Please continue to celebrate our differences, and I hope this podcast series has helped you realise that there's no such thing as normal. I wanted to finish on an autistic comedian and writer, Joe Wells, who I interviewed earlier this year. Joe Wells' writing career began when his first book, Touch and Go Joe, covered his experience of OCD. Since then, he has made a big name for himself as a stand-up comic, writer and speaker. This clip sums up what the series is all about. Stay safe, everyone. See you soon. I'm uh, Joe. I'm an autistic man. We got autistics then? No! <laughs> <laughs> I thought we killed off during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> We've got DNRs on our files. That's fucking <laughs>